Welcome to another episode of the IAPS podcast. This one has a technology focus, featuring insights from Lex, Dave and Matt, the IAPS digital advisors, on the use of generative AI in their classrooms by staff and by pupils. Lex has also written a blog on this subject, which members can access through the leadership blog section of the IAPS website. The episode was recorded in December 2023. I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do, please like and subscribe to our feed so that future episodes turn up automatically and tell someone that you know who might enjoy it too. Well, good afternoon, everyone. My name's Dominic Norrish. I'm the Chief Executive at IPS, and I'm here to talk about technology this afternoon. And I've been joined by three colleagues much more experienced and certainly with much more current knowledge than I uh, to discuss this. Very pleased that we've got Lex Lang from Caterham Prep School, Matt Warren from RGS The Grange, and Dave Presky from York House School, all three of whom are IAPS subject advisors on digital. And your day-to-day is uh, working with colleagues and with pupils on the use of technology to enhance what's happening in your schools. So uh, we're going to have a conversation today about the most obvious thing that uh, is unavoidable at the moment, and that's the current iterations of artificial intelligence, what some people are referring to as large language models or generative AI, and the impact that we've been seeing of those technologies in your schools and in the schools that you've been assisting. And the hope is that this conversation will help many other head teachers uh, to understand what's possible and to navigate some of the challenges and maybe even be a starting point for a conversation with you as their advisor as well. So the first thing I'd like to ask you all about and uh, in no kind of particular order so uh, whoever wants to take this one first is about the pupils use because whenever we as adults start thinking about technology and how to apply it my experience was always that the children were several steps ahead uh, and had been using it kind of culturally in their wider lives much in advance of the things that we've thought about educationally so uh, has that happened this time have what surprised you what, what have pupils come up to you and shown you which has made you think wow we really need to to think about this a bit more I think I'll, I'll kick off if that's okay uh, Dominic um, I think our, our job really as educators is to is to educate with these things going on you know this 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 ever sort of changing world we look at sort of AI artificial intelligence is our is our curriculum up to date you know are we actually serving our pupils uh, you know I've the privilege of working with Dave and Lex and we've sort of bounced so many ideas around we've got to be doing something We've been sort of doing this for a number of years in terms of sort of talking about bots, but we made the link between sort of bots and Alexa and Siri with artificial intelligence. So it's making those links and then sort of taking taking that forward, really. And I think always starting from a base point, what do the pupils know? What are the misconceptions? Where am I going to take them on this journey? And how, how far can I actually push this? Um, and I've, I suppose going back to your original question, what surprised me is how quickly the pupils make the links. So in terms of sort of curriculum content so far, um, I didn't think I'd be teaching sort of neural networks in terms of sort of how it works. Fine. We know what artificial intelligence is now, but actually what is the impact and how does it work and what links can we actually make in learning to actually make this really stick? Uh, and that's what's really surprised me. You know, Lex and Dave have done some, some amazing things as well. We've got some really good case studies to share with schools. Um, but yeah, that surprise element of you know, don't assume pupils aren't going to make those connections and sort of really, really start to understand how it works, because that's the fundamentals of what we're trying to teach. Absolutely. I think this is one of those things that we we have to line things up to make sure we're ready for them. But the, as you said at the beginning, Dominic, they are 
they're often the first to bring things to the table because this is their world. Um, lots of the things we consider as new technology, it's not new for them, uh, particularly around mobile phones and mobile devices. The oldest children in the average prep school are younger than the iPhone 4S. Um, this is stuff that they were born with. It was already there. It wasn't new for them. The generative AI stuff is new for them. That's exciting for them. They do get to see it evolving, but they are the thing that they have been developing is they're used to the, the rapid pace of technological development. They're used to just diving in and playing with things. And I noticed very early on, um, particularly as it's changed the world of work for the parents, that number of children who are coming in in a couple of weeks, lots of them are saying they were using it at home with their parents. And it's already a thing they're using. It's back to what we've done with social media and things like that. We need to be aware. We need to be realistic. But actually where that's slightly different is that it's so much more useful for us as a tool. So what we've started seeing very quickly is how children are using it as a tool in their everyday lives, whether that's things we're facilitating at school or outside. Uh, one example that struck me as a, as a thing that we were just not expecting was uh, I got contacted by our IT team who had come in with thinking aloud for giving um, an SSID to a device that we're adding onto the Wi-Fi. And it was a, a bird feeder, a smart bird feeder that identifies the birds. And they were trying to get it on the network. So we need to think of a name for it. They were speaking to the teacher. One of the children was listening, went, actually, oh, can we can we borrow the AI iPad? And they asked uh, a generative AI to spit out 15 different names for a smart bird feeder to put on our Wi-Fi network. And then they picked number eight. They thought that was probably, they had a good discussion between a bunch of them, thought number eight was the best one, wasn't quite right. And they riffed on that for a bit, came up with the perfect name. And within 45 seconds, they had a brilliant thing that no one would have thought of. But actually for this member of our IT team, they work right across the organization. They were stunned to see what nine-year-olds doing this. But it's a world that they're it's a world that they're already in. I mean, in terms of actual classwork, we're seeing it for instant feedback, generating ideas quickly. Uh, and just kind of either saving time or brainstorming. It's being used for tons and tons for brainstorming. The first thing they're reaching for, as opposed to a kind of add-on, it's just intuitive. Mm. Let's ask. I mean, I don't want to resurrect the um, bankrupt metaphor of the digital native, because that, that really isn't the thing. There's plenty of children who really struggle with mm. conceptually with technology, and there are plenty of adults who excel at it. But rarely is it our first thought to just go off and for a start for 10 let's get a, an AI to help. I think it's it's just that it's a tool. I think that's the big thing that where we can get hung up on considering it as some existential massive new thing that we need to have a position and we do need to have positions on part of it, but essentially it's a tool. And for the children, they've grown up with pencils in the room and rulers in the room and calculators in the room. And now this is another tool that's in the room. You said the oldest child in prep school is younger than the iPhone 4S? Yeah, I think if you go, and we only go up to year six, if you go up to year eight, you're probably on top. Wow. Maybe the iPhone 3. Either I mean, way. My mum still has that phone. That is, <laughs> she doesn't think it's old. That's crazy. And, and Dave, is there anything that, that particularly surprised you? from? from yeah. Your... yeah, thanks. I think speed of adoption for such a powerful tool. I mean, we, we, we're very used to seeing viral trends, you know, blowing up all, all sorts, of, sorts of ways in the past. But for such a powerful tool to be so effective, so, to have picked up everyone's conscience so quickly across the age range and also coming back from, from a parental point of view as well. The whole the whole discussion around this, we, we've long talked about you know, online safety discussions with parents because we, we're meeting that middle ground. This is the first time we've had a, such a powerful tool that's being used across the board that's come back in uh, and people want to discuss it and think about how it's being used in a positive and a negative line. I think it's that, that volume of uh, enthusiasm around this and interest around this is has made it really quite significant you know across across the evolutions you know and the iterations we've seen from different different types of technologies 
parental expectations and I imagine, well, I don't imagine, I know lots of parents are concerned about the intrusion of technology, the greater and greater intrusion of technology into their child's life and the, the risks and threats that that presents. Um, have you come across parents who are, you know, expecting a bit more of you? You know, what use are you making of AI? Has that been a thing yet? We've certainly had more, and I think because it bleeds into into their their world as well, their workplace as well. I think this is it. They're obviously thinking about how we hear all these statistics about future jobs and what's this going to look like, uh, and what are we doing about it, and where are we going to head with this. I think that's really really picked up a consciousness of of um, of their interest. As I say in the past, you know, the evolution of computer science curriculum, you, know, you could debate that that's a little bit lagged, you know, over recent years, but at least it's fairly relevant, whereas this has really opened up a whole another level. So as a result, we've we've had parents want to talk at all sorts of levels about what that looks like and what that's going to, what that potentially look like in the future. It's certainly changed within, with, I noticed within the first few weeks of this coming out, the, the parents who approached me were saying, what are you doing about this AI stuff? It's very scary, isn't it? And within a couple of weeks, people saying, this has completely changed the way I work already. What are you doing to prepare my children for the future? They're going to need to know how to use this. It's the first time I've been asked, often we talk about online safety, you know, workshops where we work with parents in particular, that kind of focus. It's the first time recently that I've been asked to to do a whole evening's presentation to parents of our school about what this looks like in education and how are we managing this. And the safety thing is really important, isn't it? I think that they need to know that we're on top of it in terms of safety. They need to know that we've thought everything through. But also, they need to know that their children are being prepared for life because isn't that what school's for? I think this is a big area, isn't it? Which, which means teachers are a little bit reluctant to sort of take this on. It, it is the fear of the unknown, isn't it? It's trying to just get that right, isn't it? To understand that, you know, we, we know how we're using it. We know the implications, the age limit, and the ethics behind this. And I think that's that's a big area, really, Dominic, for, for a lot of teachers, head teachers looking to sort of take this on. If there's fear, you know, there's probably going to be a lesser standoff approach. But this is so fast moving that I think you've got to find a way in. Um, you've got to experiment. I think as educators, it's our job, isn't it, to try and stay a step ahead of what's going on and um, you know, try and try not to teach lessons the way we taught them maybe last year or last week, you know, to try and evolve and to try and bring in different changes to engage pupils. This is their world. We've got to prepare them for the, you know, for the workplace. And this is happening. Just to add to this idea of future jobs, it was very interesting to hear when we did the, the course recently, you know, these percentages of, you know, what, what, what jobs are going to exist by the time they go to the workplace. But it's interesting that, that the roles that we do now, we, we weren't prepared for that at school. But what we've done is we've worked for all the different, the different evolutions and we've had a growth mindset and we've immersed ourselves in the technology as it's evolved. We've had that kind of positive outlook to really uh, learning and and applying what we what we know into different types of software. And as the years have gone by, you kind of you evolve into what that role is whatever that might be in the future and what that workplace might look like physically or digitally and what, what that you know might consist of. And I think in addressing concerns when, when it comes up with an individual, I think as schools, we're used to the fact that any decision we make will always be embraced by some and hated by some. Um, but a lot, of the, a lot of the concerns in any change come from fear about what it means. Um, in engaging people in conversations, it's often asking the question non-combatively, what do you want us as a school to be doing to prepare your child for the world they're growing up in? It may start with, I want them to be able to pass exams. I want them to be good at writing or whatever it is. But actually, as you drill down into what's all that for, it comes back down to preparing them to be a functional adult who's successful and has doors open for them. And I think they can sometimes end up talking themselves around once they realise, once they hear the words they're saying. 
this isn't for one person to drive forward in a school, though, is it, Lex and Dave? This is no. this is something that we worked very hard to get our senior leadership, you know, our senior leadership teams in a room to sit down to present what we know, what's changing, what's evolving, um, the positives. Yes, there's negatives, but we've got to explore, haven't we? Uh, and as a school, we've got to have a, a you know your combined school stance on this, where we we know what we're doing in terms of education. We know how teachers can start to utilise this. You know, in terms of work efficiency. There are some great ways in, but then it's also authenticity, isn't it, of how we use it. Sharing when we when we choose to use AI, is that something we have to do? I, I think by this time next year, it probably won't be. I think it's just going to be part of our general lives. But in this current state, it seems a big, quite a big deal, doesn't it? I, I've used AI to assist with this, but having that transparency. And if that's what we need to adopt in these in these early days of it then i think that's probably you know a good honest sort of way to move forward just to pick up on that theme of matt's there this idea of spreading the culture we feel that you know as computing specialists we feel that the culture digital culture has become so immersed in what we're doing in education and in society that it has to be cross-curriculum and then the more people you pull in from different specialties the more it opens up doors and opportunities and creativity um, and that's why we're very big on trying to work in a cross-curricular manner and just before we move on from parents I'm just very aware of previous kind of tech hype cycles and schools kind of fully embracing things that turned out not to actually be worth any of their time, you know, in the fullness of time. And I definitely don't think that's a risk here. I think that the the progress we've seen with these types of AI genuinely is something very, very different than, you know, this isn't the latest version of an interactive whiteboard. However, there's definitely the risk that schools kind of completely non-critically start using things just to kind of almost tick the AI box and to show parents they're doing something rather than the thing that you three have all just done a great example of describing doing, which is uh, as a senior team of people running the school, thinking about how does this impact on our curriculum and on how we teach and how children learn in a sensible, meaningful way, rather than, well, we've got this app where the cat will talk to you and give you the answers in French or, or whatever it is that you can easily just, you know, engage with. And there's so much of that stuff. So I guess my kind of caution here is engage slowly, you know, do this in a mindful way, if that's not too big a cliche. And I think we're mirroring society to a degree, as I say, the, 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 the feedback that we've had and the interest that we've had at all sorts of levels, I think has really showed us how big a deal this is. I think we've made you know, quite an evolutionary step. But as you say, that very sober approach, thinking about how it could be used across the curriculum is, you know, is a very useful way. And then building up that bank of resources to share and say, look, you know, this is not a huge hype around this. This, this is how it, this is the impact it's had on various lessons. Um, across the curriculum and I think you can grow that that kind of belief in it being a worthwhile project from from that core outwards it's sharing I think that uh, a lot of the time the risks come from not knowing how we've got a new tool we don't know how to use it but you don't need to invent the use cases they're all over the place they're on Twitter X they're on LinkedIn they're on YouTube you could speak to any member of us actually if people speak within their school community and speak to the children uh, they will find any number of use cases that might be relevant and helpful I think the key thing about not backing the wrong horse and to stay with the horse metaphor, um, I've said before, is it is about getting on a horse. It's not a race per se. There isn't going to be a winner, but it is a direction of travel. And I think if schools know what your direction of travel is, you know where you're trying to get your children to. And then it means that you just you need to get on a horse and be moving in that direction because it's not a horse race. You're not on a horse. You can get off it. You can get on a different one. And the, the danger, I suppose, when, you, when you're talking about sort of um, whiteboards and things like that is that people can get sucked into extremely expensive contracts very early on. And I think now is probably the wrong time to be taking on a five-year contract with somebody because 
even if they're the best now, they may not be the best for long and things will keep changing. Massive financial commitments can be dangerous. It's tricky when you get into the some of the big players who are coming into the market, they're releasing things, your Googles and your Microsofts and things, they're, they're releasing very, very expensive things that are rolling out, which might be absolutely phenomenal, but we don't know yet. But there are any number of free tools that you can use on a trial basis or just generally free, which will give you a taster of many of many of the things you're doing. Have a play with it. Talk to people. Go get get people to try a number of things out and feedback. Because I think the worry, wasting money is a genuine concern. I think people worrying, why, why are you chopping and changing? That's about direction of travel. Again, the, there's no shame in someone approaching and saying, but last term you were using this and this term you're using this. And it's like, well, yes, because that was better than what we had before. And this is better than what we had then. And we want to be doing better all the time. So don't be afraid to change. Uh, agility is important. Not getting tied into something dangerous is also a danger, but it is important to get moving. And happily, the likes of Microsoft are charging by the month for their uh, AI products. So there's a, you can try that at a limited mm-hmm. cost. Let, let's move on to a discussion of teachers, if you don't mind, and, and other members of staff um, it, working in your schools. And actually, it's possibly easiest to see the use case outside of the classroom. So definitely let's bring in um, members of support staff into this. But um, I mean, there are some very obvious benefits you'd hope in a school that has been through this uh, journey and is kind of out the end of a, of a mature change process where a lot of the tasks that were routinely done by humans now receive assistance in an automated way. And I'm thinking about, I suppose, the kind of holy cow here would be school reports, which, you know, these, this is territory we, we have to tread on very lightly. But, you know, if I, I can't think of a a piece of work that causes more stress and takes away more time from teachers productively than the, the preparation of reports. And actually this kind of technology is perfect. Well, sorry, perfect is a very strong word. Is very strong at helping you get most of the way with pieces of writing. So I wondered, and those are my kind of unexamined thoughts about you know, workload. What are you seeing that your colleagues are saying about the tasks that AI is starting to make easier for them? I think the te- the teachers that we've got who've taken this on, uh, we've got a bit of a working party as well who share this on a regular basis. Every staff meeting, we sort of designate about 10 minutes. Did you share in best practice? More recently, there has been AI quick wins, you know, with just efficiency tips and things. We have gone, we have looked at the reports um, and I think this is a really, really good debate. Some schools will will go wholeheartedly at this. I'm not sort of going to be critical or say what's right. I can't do that. I can only talk from my own sort of experiences on this. That when we did go through a report cycle, we we felt we weren't quite in a place as a school wholeheartedly where we could say, teachers, go and use this. You know, we found some great tools out there. By this time, again, next year, it's going to be pretty much embedded in most tools that we use without us sort of stipulating, I used AI. But we just felt we we couldn't quite sort of replace um, the teacher's tone. So what we did and what we didn't, we didn't say um, that you cannot use AI, but we but we simply didn't say we want you to go and use this tool. Those who did used it, used it for proofreading, for checking the efficiency. You could tell, you know, the teachers were saving a lot of time. I think as we move forward with this, I think most teachers will use it. But this is just a really, really interesting time, isn't it? Where we're we're not sort of judging each other, but we're looking and we haven't quite got the right answers yet, or we don't quite know our, our complete confidence in our stance on things. 
I think the quality of accountability, the outcome of the reports was the proof is in the pudding. And we kind of felt it often, you know, talking about the tone and knowing that child, that the depth of input that was needed on the prompts to write the quality of outcome to really represent you knowing that child. By the time you've done those prompts, you might as well have written the report, frankly. It was, it's not, you know, from what we've seen, it's an obvious one to go to, but it, it is, it's, it's clunky in that sense. Um, and not perhaps its best application. When we've seen it used across something around planning, um, which is it, it, this vast amounts of online data that's previously learned from, then of course it's you know it's using all sorts of well well tried and tested area there that's fairly generic. But if you're talking about that in a in an individualized sense, you know, and the outcome of, of what a report is for your individual child, that's where you know that accountability of, of yes, it's going to make you work faster, which is great. But is it get, giving you the same or better quality? That's where the debate really is. And that's where the debate about how it's being used. And at present, is it a good enough tool to be to be used in that way? Dave, I, th- I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head there in terms of when we did have staff that chose to use it. You know, we go back to teacher standards, you know, and those professional values. You know, th- this is my work. This is the best work I can I can produce, which is of, you know, the, the best that I can do. If someone's outsourced that and used a report writing tool, it lacks the tone. We we kind of miss the whole purpose, I think, of report writing, isn't it? Where, you know, as, as a parent with my parent hat on, I'd read my, you know, my, my son's report, daughter's report. I know the teacher's written that. And I think we're trying to sort of get to that stage, aren't we, where it's not just a quick win here. It's doing something better and saving time as well. And I think it's just professional standards. If you choose to use it, you're taking accountability for that. And it's really early days, obviously. I'm sure that products will emerge through uh, things like our management information systems that that have always helped us write reports that will start to utilize AI to make it much more professional and appropriate and will be fed with the, the right data, will be in a you know a safe environment, all of those things in years to come. So maybe that was too high a bar to start with. And maybe I, I should have ended on that example. Um, I mean, the most obvious example that I've seen in action, my wife uh, last year was teaching year 10 and she had to, to write a description uh, of an island. This is she was teaching um, Lord of the Flies. And she put the laptop in front of me one night and said, help me write this description and I said nope <laughs> We're gonna, I'm going to outsource that and we did it you know it was really really easy to generate a fantastic description of an island which needed to be spooky and uh, and concerning and then one that was needed to be idyllic and sun-drenched and just you know see the AI churn that out in five minutes which would have taken her and I 50 minutes and had a relationship cost at some scale I'm sure <laughs> through that process as well and that was you know the creation of resources so quick and easy if you've got to produce a written outcome or even an image. Uh, and we've seen plenty of examples from your own practice of producing the perfect image to just explain something. Let's have a bit of a conversation about how teachers are using this to help them yeah. teach better yeah. and create resources. What, what have you seen? Can I jump I in with maths in terms of, sorry, sorry, in terms of maths questions, you know, that whole idea of finding exactly the right picture of questions, especially word-based questions for children. To ask for a, a set of word-based questions around a certain theme, and then just as simple as writing too hard, too easy, pitch up, change the currency. I want, you know, certain features to be in there. The generation of that saves so much time when you're trying to find exactly the right resources for, for a range of children with a range of abilities. I think that one, like, like the example of the perfect text, I want the perfect text with the criteria that I want in this lesson. Off you go. That is such time-saving exercise that really does, you know, is, is very, very powerful. One that's really impressed me was in a workflow one, again, with a colleague who was not, who was initially quite sceptical about all of this. 
it was the the flow of coming up with an idea. She had a YouTube video that she wanted to use. And we were talking about how you would turn that into a comprehension and you'd have to stop and write it. She was going to write a sheet. And we did the thing where the flow where you, you take the transcript, drop it in, say, turn this into a comprehension. We then took that, dropped it into a document and then imported that into uh, a form, which turned it into a quiz automatically, gave that to the children, took the results from that dropped it back in and said, can you interpret this and find overall strengths and weaknesses? And so all of those things, which would have been set many, many hours. Oh, and then also differentiated it for children at different levels and somebody who had English as an additional language and all of that, she could have done it herself. It would have taken hours and hours and hours and hours and compromised the quality of her other lessons. She was able to do that in minutes. And obviously this is at the crude stage where there's tons of copying and pasting within a few months. That's all going to be built into the flow anyway. Another thing that's really struck me is around feedback. So we had a uh, wonderful, actually one, one, another one in English again was writing word banks up on the board. So we collected children's ideas, pointed the thing at it and said, use this in 15 different paragraphs to write examples. And again, then you can give every child their own individual example of that word prompt and say, rather than as a teacher, we would model one because that's what we've got time to do. Here's 15 of them. Which one's the best one? Why is it the best one? And then they're really getting into the deeper critical analysis of that. The other thing that impressed me is, again, the, the presence multiplying angle. So we've had, um, I've had a couple of myself, one of our head of English has now started doing it as well, is that when children want instant feedback for something, you as a teacher can get to a certain number of people in a certain number of time and give them a certain amount of individual attention. In the meantime, there are generative systems where they can ask by typing or take a photo of it. And a great example, one of my children was, she wrote a sentence, took a photo of it, gave it to a generative AI and said, how could I improve this? It gave her a load of feedback about her handwritten work. She then made some changes, took another photo and said, is this better? And it gave her a whole load more feedback. And then by the time the teacher came over to talk to her, she'd written her third version. And this is before that's been productized by someone who's purely focused on improving writing. Absolutely. That's just a raw tool. And it, it's, it's an idea so good that even our uh, current prime minister has has referenced that kind of a robot power for every child that would probably solve almost every problem that the education sector has, including the staffing one, which opens up a whole other Pandora's box, which let's not talk about that just yet. Matt, did you have anything to add to what you've seen in the teachers using this for? Yeah, just I suppose just following on from Lex, I mean, sort of we, we've had a really good chat, haven't we, gents, about sort of the ethics and sort of age limitations and with, with the age sort of limit of 13 and feeding in data. Um you know, Lex, Lex and I and Dave do pretty similar things in the sense that we have a, a banked set of iPads with, you know, let's say ChatGPT or, or, or a similar large language model. Um, but that's used under supervision. What, we, what we're not saying is, you know, go away and replace teachers and just have every device set up with it because... As primary school teachers, we, we need to be very aware of the, you know, the sort of ethics and the, the age boundaries behind that. I've started to use it a little bit in, in coding, pseudo code. Pupils want to come up with an idea. They can they can put in their idea to to chat GPT. Um, we bring in the term pseudo code then, you know, it's not sort of really fine until year seven, eight. But, you know, instructions are then pulled across. They then still have to devise uh, the way of building and finding the blocks in scratch and put that together, which is really good. Um, quizzes as well, cahoots, things like that. Um, blue blue kits, you know, you can do it in minutes now instead of just typing every question. We've got to be careful, though, haven't we? We cannot 100% trust the outcome um, of what we get. We have to, again, be accountable for what we're doing, how we're using it and what we're putting in. And I think that's really important. Uh, and I think for me, this all goes back to when we work with the kids. 
this is, you know, the way I'd work with staff is very similar to the way I would work with my uh, my year fours at the moment, you know, teaching them about the AI and the machine learning. The quality of what you put in is going to be the quality of what you actually get out. Um, and so just to just raise the bar and, and and get teachers to just play around with it. As I said, we, we've done so many different things. We're writing prompts, but also, you know, just showing its limitations. Um, you know, famous poems. Can you continue this poem? They're not always great. And I think it, it's highlighting that as well, isn't it? Showing pupils what's not as good about this. Well, that was, you know, this is AI producing it. You could do better. Over to you then, guys. Can you beat the AI machine? I, I think it's just having that really nice balanced view to this. This isn't taking over. We've got to just look at it uh, on both sides of the uh, the spectrum. Poems don't have to rhyme, AI. Come on. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the name of the poem, but it had a, a real lovely rhyming scheme. And then it, I asked it to continue and it couldn't. Um, it no. did match that. Um, but it's very good. You can, you know, for, for pupils a little bit older, you can scan scanned up to sort of 20 pages of a book and asked it to, to, to actually to pull that together into, into bullet points to it's very good. You know, it's very good at certain things, um, not so good at others. And we're still mm -hmm. learning that we're still working it out. Yeah. I just wanted to follow up again on what Matt was saying. I think that, that it's, it's back to those core principles behind it. And sort of when we were looking at our devising a policy that we got further and further into making something more and more complicated and actually we boiled it down to what are the real principles around it. And as Matt said, these apply to staff and children equally, um, whether they're using it within their own accounts or whether they're using shared supervised ones. And it was essentially know how it works, be honest when you're using it and be accountable for what you produce. And if you do that, you've covered, and again, that really works for all technology and all tools. Again, things that help us to do something better is you need to know what the limitations are. You need to know what the strengths are and you need to be clear about it. So, so a lot of what um, we've all just been saying now is about how we support colleagues to do this well and to feel confidence and, and to do the things safely. What would be your top tips for school leaders who are keen to bring their staff along with them and to overcome perhaps kind of um, understandable resistance through a process that in, involves people and doesn't just impose. Yeah, Tommy, if I can kick off, it's share is, is, is the big the big word there, really. And you mentioned art AI. We've had a real explosion of a sharing culture and what that could look like in different contexts, different year groups, different curriculum content. Uh, very early on, we picked up on the idea that like we mentioned with the written content, finding an image that really engaged the children, we started embedding it in Pi Corbett Talk for Writing in the Innovate stage. And at that point, we then took their ideas away. We generated the AI and it became very much infused. We then shared that at one of our little, you know, we call them 50 minute forums, little sessions. Our science lead said to me, well, can you do it around habitats? Name The children name an extreme habitat. What features would they need to exist in there? And then we ran it through an art generator and we came back and then they had to critique the quality of that that was then shared back again and then we looked at uh, fantastic beasts and where to find them and our, our year fours are having an amazing time where every child is now writing the description drawing it running the art ai and then getting those and marrying those up and, and looking at the the differences not just from an artistic point of view but from a literacy point of view but the key the key word is there is, is share 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 thanks dave any other comments on on that change process and supporting staff through it yeah, I think it's just got to be consistent. You know, what, what what's not acceptable is probably the start of the year to just do, you know, one sort of pitch on this and then leave leave teachers to get on with it. Every training day we have now, we will do updates on AI. 
every staff meeting on a, a weekly basis there's at least 10 minutes where we're just sharing it's not always the good it's the things that haven't worked in the classroom i think that's really important as well and i think it's just drip feeding this it's like anything isn't it it's it's developing the culture where you do have teachers who know what it is they're using how they can best use it um, and they're learning from each other you're always going to have some digital champions in school you know lean, lean on them as well get them to share and showcase and give them a, a platform if it's just one voice in a school all the time i don't think that's you know we need more than that don't we and we need to bring people with us dave's done some great stuff with his literacy leads um yeah your case and that's great uh, and i've really enjoyed sort of listening and sharing what, what sort of lex has been doing in uh catering and it's about sort of listening to each other using your personal learning network you know, not just in your school, but reaching out as well, you know, showcasing. Don't think that what you're sharing is what everybody's doing, you know, and I think that, that's really, really critical that we keep on learning, reflecting. And as you rightly said, Dominic, at the at the start of the, of the sort of the podcast, is this best use of AI? You know, is this actually improving the learning outcomes or am I just trying to do it for the sake of it? We've got to just be reflective, um, but just drip feed um, and just keep on sharing. And Lex, you, you I think, have introduce some kind of important bits of scaffolding in terms of documentations, policy, etc., that really have helped heads and teachers feel confidence in what they're doing. Do you want to just talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so I mean, all those documents um, will be sent back out and made available so people can get to them. But the, the, the main part was developing a very, very simple set of rules. Uh, so we added a bit to our acceptable use agreement, which more or less reiterates the same thing which is just about, we added for the children, we added the age limits thing about saying we only use things with adult supervision unless they're old enough to have their own account. Um, and on things where that's acceptable, it's important to go through the rules. Um, and just about being honest. So our, our AI policy, again, we got it onto a single sheet of A4 and it really covers those, just those main things about understanding and accountability and honesty. So making sure that you're clear about all those things. I think the biggest thing for me though, with sharing is huge, but actually I think it's, it's, you don't need to be an expert. I think there's a big thing we've done in all our curriculum development and said to all our staff, you don't need to be the expert. You just need to not be in the way. And don't let your lack of confidence stop other people from learning and succeeding. It, it's okay not to know. Go find an expert. Go celebrate people who are enthusiastic. In a lesson, we'll say, you know, if, if the children are asking to do something, you don't know how, be honest about it. But also ask if someone in the room does know, because if they do, they can be helping, then you're learning together. And that's modeling learning in the best way possible. Similarly for senior leadership, do have conversations around it, do have meetings, do get your enthusiasts in, get us in, get someone to talk to you about it. But then as Matt said, then keep it going. You don't need to be leading from the front in that sense, except in setting what the ethos is, reminding people what the goal is, what you as a school, as an organization stand for. And then the nuts and bolts of it are things that people can be getting on around you as long as they're checking in with each other. Just before, sorry, just before we do move on, we, we've done a little bit of sort of benchmarking across the RGS um, schools. So we basically surveyed teachers to just try and learn really their competency with this. Sort of going back to what Lex said, a basic understanding of this is actually really good. That's all you need at the moment to be using this fairly successfully. I certainly am not an expert in this area, but I'm a person who's got an open mind, who's happy to do a little bit of research, to to talk to people and to try things and to sort of share from that. Um, so benchmarking where your staff are is a really lovely, lovely point of sort of moving on this journey. We've got some great data from it. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's that's really nice to sort of reflect on of what we're doing well and where we need to now push the next series of staff training sessions. That's really helpful. Thank you uh, all. With an eye on the clock, because I know we've all got um, uh, marking to do, children to collect, 
zone two cardio to uh, procrastinate over. Uh, so last five minutes, just wanted to ask the kind of big question really, which is, well, it's a huge question. So your answers won't be exhaustive, but I'd be interested in your thoughts. So this all implies we're at the you know very beginning of an enormous potential revolution in society, in what it means to be a human. And at the heart of schools is kind of helping young humans become successful, bigger humans. As you've said, children in our schools currently, their lives are everything they do in their in their work life is going to be affected by AI. It seems to me to be almost inevitable. So what are the implications for the skills should be giving our children to have a really successful adulthood? I mean, so if I just to give a, a small example, um, I think rightly we have focused for hundreds of years on people being able to make very clear legible marks with a pen or pencil so that they are on paper so those things can be read by others and so they can demonstrate their their knowledge and understanding something that's you know the right thing to be focused on i sense that that skill is moving slightly off frame to the left as it becomes less and less important i'm not saying it has no importance it's becoming less important what's replacing it what's coming in from the right interview what do we need our pupils to be leaving our schools being able to do Dave, do you want to kick us off? Yes, please. Yeah, I, I mean, I do think, you know, we hear a lot about is, is the curriculum dead. I, I, fundamental knowledge is still unbelievably important because at the end of the day, the output you are getting, the quality of your input, the quality of the output you're using in generative AI informs if it's good or not. So unless you, you have a good sound understanding of knowledge in numeracy, literacy and all other subjects, then that's going to be a problem. That's that's your first concern. But of course, you know, key competencies as a human is, is also this element here, what is not going to be replica- replicable with the technology. Um, and we've, we've thought and dug down quite deeply into this. Um, and we've done some work around the children identifying key companies, things like collaboration, communication, curiosity, these things that technology is a creativity, you know, less likely to replace. You know, we could debate the creativity part if it's good creativity or not. Um, and what we've been looking at, children self-reflecting and then asking them to step up in areas that they feel that they need to develop. So an example of a project we've been doing here, we've made uh, an emergency uh, shelter from a scenario where there's going to be an asteroid strike. We created the model in Minecraft. Then they had to film uh, a government information film with the, uh, with the video content. But what we said to the children is, listen, we've seen who's creative here. We see who's a good collaborator here. But now we want to find who it is that, that actually is a bit anxious about the communication and about the presentation. Because here is a real opportunity for you to, to develop that human skill, which will not be eroded by you know the evolution of technology. So it's looking for these children, the opportunities to self-reflect and then opportunities for them to step up and develop these key competencies. So between those those two areas, that's that's how we've been sort of dealing with those those sort of bigger, longer term picture. Fantastic. Thank you. Matt, what are your thoughts? Um, I, I quite like the crossover here um, of being a computing teacher. You know, everyone sort of just thinks, oh, you just teach code, you know, and is that changing with AI? I, I'm not I'm not sure. I think, you know, there are some ripples. But I look at my subject. I would simply say that there is so much more in this in this subject of computing that permeates throughout the curriculum. You know, we've got a few screens in this room. So, you know, when a child is stuck in my classroom, they don't come to me straight away. They ask three. If they do find someone who knows it and that person has a chance to share their knowledge, they push their work up onto one of the screens, they have a chance to present. Because actually, you know, it's that sort of hierarchy of knowledge of, of if we can teach what we actually understand, that really cements our learning. So I, th- these skills aren't going away. The collaboration the ability to look somebody in the eye, um, the ability to present, 
if you use technology, well, that's great. But again, if you're using notes or we teach them in, in, you know, in Keynote to have a slide deck with notes hidden, we don't want you reading off a screen. We want you to actually engage with people. So, you know, the, these things aren't going away. I know technology is changing around us, but it's no, it's just adapting. How are you using these tools? What's your accountability with using these tools? And have you got these basic skills to be able to work with people, to be able to talk to people, to communicate and to listen? They're not going away, you know, and I, I think sort of the AI computing, those skills are there and they're going to be there for a long, long time. Thank you, Matt. Um, finally, Lex. To echo what the other two have said, I think the exciting thing is that it's going to change the balance of things. Sort of knowledge will still be important for, for verifying, for fact-checking, to, to going in to explore because you need to know if the answer is good, because you need to be able to interrogate and develop and formulate what you're saying. I mean, prompt, no one's going to be a prompt engineer in five years, I don't think. Uh, so we don't, but we don't know what the jobs are going to be. The World Economic Forum for years has been talking about prioritizing analytical thinking and creativity and problem solving and resilience and communication and collaboration and all these things that we've been talking about for a very long time in education, but actually often get squeezed and they get squeezed by the doing. I think what's exciting now is the doing can be squeezed in certain circumstances and not all. They need to know how to make marks. They need to know how to prepare or compose an essay or build an argument logically. But I think what we have the, the excitement about now is that calculator moment for things that aren't maths, that where sometimes the struggle is the point. Sometimes you need to be able to work things out the hard way and produce it and do it the long way. But sometimes the struggle isn't the point. And sometimes actually the thinking is the point and the communicating and the getting it across and the analyzing, that's the point. And if you can remove the struggle of production from that and then get on with the higher order thinking, that's enormously exciting. And I think that's a thing that's just going to keep developing as time goes by. Yeah, I think societally for children, um, the fact that AI will remove many of the burdens that have stopped everyone from demonstrating quite how capable they are. The ability to, to write clearly is a really good example. My handwriting is terrible and it definitely held me back at times. Uh, and there are many other people with many more restricting things that, that are kind of model are are thinking about what you need to demonstrate to prove that you you are intelligent and um, and understand things. AI is going to relieve that burden and allow many more people to succeed and shine. I think you've used the metaphor of horses. You use the calculator moment. I'd also bring up Steve Jobs's you know bicycle of the minds metaphor. And here we really are seeing it. You know you can travel so much faster, see so much more, get so much more done with a tool like this in a way that I don't think has fully been experienced in the past. Sorry, Dave, I think you wanted to come in with one final thought. Oh, just just really about assistive technology, you know, the next the next evolution, and it's a big step, uh, you know, and really what this can, can enable, the, the barriers that this removes and what it, what it can enable us to do, you know, is fantastic. And as long as you're a critical thinker with, with the outcome, I really think, as you say, it's going to revolutionise the education of so many people, regardless of their individual situation. So just, just to echo the power of that, really. Thank you for saying that so much better than I did. I <laughs> articulate that. Well, look, thank you all. Um, that's been a fascinating conversation. Um, IAPS members can access your expertise and all the documentation and things that you've been producing, case studies and policies through the members area of the website. Um, so please do take a look and we will pick up this conversation uh, in a couple of months time um, to see what new has been learned and maybe to focus in on one of these aspects with a bit more time on our hands. So thank you all again and I'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Thanks, Dominic. Take care. Thank you.